Hello, welcome to Blockchain Gaming World, episode 14. I'm John Jordan, and with me this week is Gareth Jenkins from Deckbound. Totally fabulous. There we go. How are you doing? <laughs> How you doing, Gareth? I'm very well. Good. It's been, been a while since you've been on the podcast. Um, anything interesting been going on in the in the world of Deckbound and uh, your window on blockchain games? Uh, mostly just getting stuff done, to be perfectly honest. Uh, busy sort of getting Lunar Minds ready for... Revealing it to the world uh, when we're ready, um, which has kept us pretty busy. Uh, some interesting things going on in the background with Heroes as well, but nothing uh, nothing public yet. Um, so, yeah, largely just uh, keeping busy. Just doing, actually doing work, which is... Uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Novelty for some, uh, some people in the blockchain world, I guess. <laughs> um, so, uh, I've been um, doing some more presentations. So, I was actually off this week in Morocco talking to, um, talking to a group of uh, game developers, uh, giving them a particular take on uh, blockchain games and where it's going. And um, I've done quite a lot of presentations this year. I mean, that's kind of how we, we, we've kind of bumped into each other at conferences, really. Um, and over the, that period of time, um, it's become kind of more clear to me that the, the big issue for blockchain in general... And blockchain games in particular is this kind of balancing act between the a user experience that is gonna be simple and, and um they're familiar to people and obviously the blockchain stuff which by its nature is is not simple and um novel and in, exciting but also um write down 12 words and if you lose these you lose all your stuff kind of scenario so um that's kind of what i'm struggling with at the moment as someone who has much more experience actually building projects and much more experience of blockchain where do you sit on on that kind of um situation that kind of balancing act yeah i've got a couple of perspectives on that actually i think from um from a general sort of overall blockchain gaming perspective right now uh i think it's there's all kinds of weird and wonderful issues that uh, i think most projects are hitting upon uh simply because the overall uh sort of blockchain crypto space hasn't necessarily moved as uh, as quickly as maybe people expected it to in terms of accessibility and tooling and that's not that's not to do with games that's just to do with the tools we have available uh, i think most things being in some way ethereum based has compounded that a little bit um because the uh, you're stuck with with specific tools which don't necessarily provide a great experience um but i think more specifically it it comes down to the types of projects. From our perspective, we, we've largely been involved in, in bigger projects, uh, skills-based strategy games, those kinds of things that have a uh, have a depth to them that allows, uh, I think, uh, for a little bit more uh, of a, an ask to, to users and players when you're saying, okay, this is what you're going to need to do to, to get involved and use these things. Um, whereas the, the, the more sort of casual side of... Uh, of blockchain games, which is uh, at the moment, I would have said sort of the predominant thing is most of the most of the projects that are out there and available at least are, are on on the casual side of things. You don't necessarily want to ask for as much, or you don't have the opportunity to ask for as much. So it's it's, it's a difficult problem. I know when we started with the the first time we did. Um, things like issue of card packs on heroes and things like that. Uh, we put a huge amount of effort into creating a, a streamlined uh, sign-in experience, but that was using a quite traditional account-based model. And we started with the account and then added things to that. And we've kind of evolved that over the years. And the, the version that we'll go live with, with Lunar Minds, is is kind of a refinement of that, but it still has the same, it still has the same problems around how you attach keys and addresses and all these kinds of things. And where, where do you really want the user to sit? That's, I think that's one of the the biggest challenges that's facing people i think it's, it's uh, always it's, it, that kind of um situation kind of really crystallizes around kind of the meta what we kind of call the metamask kind of problem not the meta, you know it's difficult because metamask is is, is is really useful in many ways um and it's not like it's 
hasn't it's not like it um that's a kind of a, a niche kind of product there's like a, a million has it been over a million meta probably well over a million now a metamask um installation so clearly people can do it and once, once you do it yeah. compared to other blockchain kind of wallets it's actually very simple um i, I find but equally there's that just that initial and i know talking to developers who trying to onboard people with metamask is is they lose you know over certainly over 90 percent, maybe even higher than that of the portion of their of their um interested potentially interested users are lost at the point where it says log into metamask <laughs> yeah i think one of the biggest challenges at the moment is that a lot of people who are excited about these projects and getting involved in them are a relative newcomers to the blockchain and, and cryptocurrency world, which is awesome. That's great. But they haven't had the experience of uh, managing your own wallet and keys and, and creating those things from scratch and, and using tools that are sort of offline, disconnected from your experience, those kinds of things. Um, if, if you've had that experience either through buying and selling cryptocurrency or being involved uh, earlier on when those tools weren't there, I think that sort of paves the way for uh, a better understanding of uh, of things like MetaMask. Although the pro- the flip side of that is that it's very easy to then get frustrated <laughs> with some of those tools because they they're simple, but sometimes they so simple that they just get in your way of <laughs> of doing things. Uh, so you, you've got both sides of it. Uh, I think it's a shame there aren't more tools that people are actively using in the same way. I think MetaMask will get a, a lot less. Uh, criticism from developers if there were options but because because basically everybody ends up using it to the point that it seems like the only option uh i think they get a lot of uh criticism that isn't necessarily about yeah, them it's no, just I about think, you know yeah, I think, they're, yeah, they're the only yeah, thing so there. they're the point at which it crystallizes um i know i didn't really look too much into it but i noticed that earlier in the week there was a company called um it called bitsky or something like that who were kind of trying to who was I ended up with a. I didn't really want to end up in a Twitter debate with them, but I ended up being <laughs> kind of invited to a Twitter debate with them. Um, but they they were kind of like they were trying to say they're the next step from from a MetaMask um, in terms of um, allowing developers more control okay. of, but being still being like a unified ID system. But um, I don't know. I, I kind of think really. I mean, it, it depends. I guess as you suggest, different projects have different um, audience audience they're aimed at different audiences, and then the yeah, those audience have different sizes. So. And each project, um, you know, uh, it, it might be fine to have something more complicated. But, you know, I, th- I think at the moment we see blockchain games are kind of stuck or for me, it's just kind of stuck around the tens of thousands or 10,000 kind of users seems to be like an, an upper limit, really. I mean, I, I know um, CryptoKitties is much more than that over a longer period of time. Um, but in terms of a kind of a, an active audience, that seems to be a limit of, of what a MetaMask kind of solution can do. And it seems like everyone else coming down the line is much more... Well, we just have a normal login service. There will be a wallet in there, but we won't tell anyone. Um, basically, there is a wallet, and unless they ask. Um. Yeah, there's. A, I've seen a couple. Um, I don't think there's anything about these that's public, but I'll talk about it in the context of what we're doing because that's kind of what we're doing as well. Is that um, there's a, there's some projects where they're taking you through an account creation process that hides it in the background the the wallet side of things. The, the risk there, obviously, is that if you hide it too much, you've you've effectively just centralized the the, the management of these decentralized things. So there's some, there's some problems there. Uh, and then on, on on the other side of it, if you if you go down the route of saying, okay, well, you need this account to play the game, but also you've got to sign these uh, transactions to to show that you own the things, but actually you still need to manage the ownership of those things yourself. Uh, and also you've got to download this thing to make it all work anyway. Um, that that just gets to be uh, sort of onerous and uh, complicated is the wrong word but it's uh, it's not complicated it's just there's a lot of things that you're then managing uh and i think yeah it is yeah 
Um, what, one of the things that we've done a, a few times actually is tested uh, the, the different ideas for different games in terms of what people think it is that they're owning and what, what it is that they're playing. Um, that That's something that I, I spoke about actually at one of the conferences that we were at this year, and I'm going to be speaking about it again in January at the, the Blockchain Gamer Connects thing, is this idea of what is it that people think that they're they're owning and, and doing because I think that affects the, the user experience side of things more significantly than maybe most people appreciate. Um, so, for example, if you're doing if you're doing a TCG where you've got a bunch of cards, then players associate very strongly with those cards because they're the thing that they play the game with, they're the thing that they purchased, and they're also mostly the the primary uh, sort of content point for the games. Like that, that is the game effectively. So when you say to people, okay, well. The, this is how you own these things. These are the keys that you need to manage. This is how you move them around. This is what you do with them. People respond quite well to that because that's the thing that they're thinking about anyway. But it, if you've got a game where the it's maybe a little bit more abstract in terms of what you're playing the game with versus what you're what you're owning, um, it's it, it's harder for people. I mean, I know there's I, I won't I'm not going to pick on one particularly, but there was one I was messing around with last night, a relatively popular sort of casual blockchain game where. Uh, I was familiar with what the project was. Uh, I'd, I'd bought some of the things that were in the project, and then I, I kind of went to go and have a look at look at it in, in advance of us talking uh, this morning. And I, I knew there was some game component to it, but I actually couldn't <laughs> find it. It took me quite a long time to figure figure out what what, what is the game. But maybe I maybe I misunderstood. Maybe it was a different project I was thinking of. And then I kind of poked around for a while, and, and eventually I did find it. But I, I wasn't because the game wasn't mar- marketed as the game; it was marketed as the collectible aspect of it. It was quite it was quite hard for me to understand what it was that I was supposed to do and what I was doing that with. And, and it turned out that I didn't actually have the thing that I needed. So then I had to go and get one of those things. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, a, a lot of that will get will improve over time. A, a lot of projects are moving very fast, um, and I, I think that's great. I think it's awesome that people are just kind of getting on with it. Um, it, with the casual side of things, I think that works really well, and I think that can be a, a significant factor in growth uh, if you're if you're willing to sort of iterate quickly. Uh, but I think for larger projects, there's, there's maybe some benefit to kind of refining these things and making them work properly before going out there. Yeah, and, no, I think and getting. People yeah, I mean, to try definitely on on the on the mobile side, talking to any any anyone doing trying to do a, a mobile game with blockchain elements is is they're basically you know obscurating or maybe obscurating is the wrong word, but basically you know. Not have it, the wallet is there because obviously it needs otherwise not a blockchain thing, but basically they're not telling anyone really. Because <laughs> um, I think there's, there is almost this idea which is, which yeah. is actually psychologically could be quite clever where you're going to some degree you're saying you have ownership of these items um, in the game, but actually for most people, the idea that they've got ownership is much more important than the actuality of what they might actually do <laughs> in terms of the ownership. Because it's kind of like you know most oh, of the crypto kitties has been like, like a million yeah. over a million crypto kitties created. And actually, no. so in terms of the crypto, sorry, the crypto kitties bought from the developer, I think the, the, the numbers were a bit old now. But I think it was something like seventy or even I think it was like seventy percent of those had been bought during the first wave of crypto kitties and never been touched. They were still just sitting in a wallet. So obviously that was a slightly different valuation bubble um, going kind of situation going on in November last year. Um, but sometimes you kind of think, yeah, I own it. Um, whether or not I can actually be bothered to sell it is, you know, and whether there's any liquidity in the market, I mean, a separate question, but that might be enough. Um, Yeah, I mean, I know from like people who uh, were, got really excited about deckbound uh, cards and stuff uh, very early on. This was sort of twenty fourteen to early twenty fifteen. The majority of people who are interacting with us around buying those cards were excited about the long term ownership concept more than they were the fact that they owned them. 
Um, and then, you know, years later, someone will send you an email or you'll bump into them at a conference and they're like, oh, how are things going? I'm really excited that I own those things. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> it's great that you, you're still excited about that and that that's what that, that was what associated you with it. But um, they tend to be the least active people. They, they don't really do much with it. Uh, the most active people we've seen, and I think this is largely because particularly with Deckbound Heroes, it was quite a traditional looking game when we when we first launched it, kind of in the process of changing that all around and things like that talk about that in the future but um most of the people who interact regularly have been more video game type people and they sometimes they're aware of the ownership part of it and sometimes they're not but largely it doesn't matter they just want to play the game and if they enjoy the game maybe they kind of delve into some of the detail behind it um but it's uh yeah there's definitely a split there in terms of interaction just then um because for me like i i don't know how many got five crypto kitties i think it's actually more than seven i think i've got it but most of them are like really really rubbish ones like really the cheapo cheaper ones that you've got but I do have a Gen Zero one now. Yeah. But obviously, the kind of the issue is not that I've tried to sell it, but um, even a Gen Zero one is probably, unless it's got very well, no, it, that may be, you may be able to sell that. But um, the, the, there's two issues, I think, with, with these kind of item ownership as a trading thing, which is kind of where a lot of games, um, what they want to stress is you, you can, maybe you can sell something at a very low value. Or more likely, in the moment, because none of these games have any um, have have large user user bases, you can't sell it at any price. So there's this liquidity issue, and I was kind of thinking, actually, what maybe what developers have to do is actually provide the liquidity and actually have a like a buyback scheme, or actually kind of try and work with them. Maybe maybe this is an opportunity for other kind of for people some crypto people with a lot of kind of crypto um, is to kind of provide us like a liquidity service where you kind of do the do secondary trading. So you're not providing the marketplace; you're actually trading these things to provide liquidity in the market that then then kickstart these internal economies. That's way off being. I don't know. It's just, just kind of. Uh, yeah, I'm going uh-huh. to talk about that again publicly well, once head, we've announced some stuff about again. what we're doing with Lunar Minds and Heroes. Um, it's that became apparent very early on for us that even regardless of which game it was for, whether it was ours or others, that the the that kind of motivation around owning and collecting and and holding these things breaks some of the the liquidity issues, even if there is liquidity there. So you, you kind of have to figure out a way of encouraging people to to. It's not necessarily providing liquidity; it's just to, to to interact with whatever your systems are. But if if the game is simply a collectible system where the majority of the value to players comes from from the trading aspect and the collecting aspect, then it is as simple as just providing liquidity. Um, if it's that you've got other things you can do in that game where uh, that involves interacting with things and using them in different ways with other players then that's obviously mm. that's going to be better the engine coin guys because they have this idea of their multiverse whatever they're calling it but they because stuff is minted through their coin i think any i any like items in there that use that system can then be um uh, melted back down again to the original coin so that 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 would kind of that would be that would kind of yeah. provide a backstop kind of liquidity kind of scenario from that point of view i suppose so um maybe that's 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 one way of doing it. Um, I know there's the other thing I was I was messing around with the um, I, don't, I don't know if you've looked at the wax. Um, what wax been doing? Have you seen the wax stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. They keep putting out all these stats about how they're the they're the most transacted blockchain. Um, and they're like, how on earth can they be? You know, they be doing all these transactions, and you look into it and. Um, I never, I didn't really know very much about um, Counter Counter Strike Go skin 
gambling or loot boxes before. But obviously, that was a massive. That has been a massive thing, a very controversial thing um, over the years. But basically, their system is is you basically go in and buy these keys, then you go to other sites and open these boxes, and obviously, just a random bit of loot is spawned, um, and it has a a value attached to it, which is just uh, I don't know how they come to that value. Um, but normally what happens is what I've happened is I've bought keys for two two dollars fifty and I've opened a box and I've got something worth like twenty two cents or something, you know. So, uh, but obviously there's the possibility that I might, you know, get something that's worth a hundred dollars, which is why kind of how this kind of market drives. Um, but all you can do basically with the keys because uh, the, the items you you spawn out, no, you know, there's you sp- you know there's thousands of these items being created. Obviously no one wants to trade them because there's no you know it's just doesn't make any sense. So you basically have to settle them back to OP skins <laughs> for the, the, the supposed dollar value to then buy some more, I mean, buy, buy some more <laughs> keys to then like hope you might win something. It's fascinating. And, and it's fascinating in the sense that people are doing this. And I think it's just, it's just, um, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's interesting how people behave with those things, isn't it? Um, I, oh, I was yeah. playing around with the uh, artifact that Val's new uh, trading card game last night, uh, and th- that's got a similar um, kind of loop to it, where you, you open the packs and then you can go and look how much you can sell the things for that you were in the pack that you just paid for, and obviously, almost all of the time, they're worth a lot less than what you paid for the pack. But occasionally, you get something that's worth more, and you're like, okay, that's exciting, but actually, maybe that's useful to me. Maybe I want to keep that. So you keep on doing it, and you, you kind of you kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, at what point do I just say there's a fixed amount that I could spend here until I've got all of the things? Or I'm just constantly kind of going going around in this internal loop, which is ironically actually very similar because it all works through the Steam wallet. So even if you sell well, the things back, all really you can do is buy other things on Steam. That, um, that obviously, that including Steam gambling scenario and put it in their game after complaining all the time about other people doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Less, the less comment about that, the better. I think, but I think Valve are, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of they're split because obviously they've got things like CS:GO where they they try and distance themselves from that stuff as much as they possibly can, despite the fact it quite obviously happens. I guess, um, I guess they, they can argue that within their the thing own they don't they like is the and obviously what happened was people streamers and stuff opening these boxes and going, "Yeah, we've won again! Oh, we've won again!" And actually, it being they directing people one one that not being realistic, you know streaming gameplay they were just like you know hamming it up and then not saying that the sites they were using they were they owned or had a cut of or something like that i mean it's, it's that it's not so much that, yeah but i guess steam would say well you know it's, it's yeah a, it's there's all kinds of weird psychological issues, dynamic yeah. that that's kind of young men i suppose mainly um like doing um but we're kind of legit we're legitimately putting it in a game um that that, that is honest or something like that i don't know that Yeah, it opens up. It opens up all kinds of weird legal issues, though, when you move into the blockchain space, because uh, there's obviously there's ambiguity around how some of these things would or wouldn't be regulated, depending on how they were sold in the first place. Um, so when you start to do things that in the game in the video games world are yes, uh, typically acceptable because they're all virtual and they don't have any cash value. Uh, it's, you, it gets a, a bit weird when you start to have those things be. Uh, it, they don't even necessarily need to have a fungible value. They, they just need to be something that you could actually well, sell. Given that all some cash boxes can't be used in Belgium or wherever at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There was some more about that this week, I think, wasn't there? There's a there's an investigation in the US, and I think there was something in Australia as well. I know in the UK they, they came out saying it was fine, it was fine, isn't it? I mean, I, to me, I can't see how it is how those kind of things are gambling. But that's another podcast for <laughs> another day. Anyway, I think we come up to twenty minutes. I think that's that's probably enough of of, of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of uh, one podcast yeah. for one week. Um, thank you very much. As ever, gone into a lot of lot of depth there. Um, and as ever, we will uh, we can invite you back in the future when you can talk about all these wonderful things. That they- That'd be exciting. Yeah, we can we can revisit it, and I can, I can tell you how well it's worked for us, and, and maybe maybe everyone's moved on by then. But yeah, I think it's going to take some. Uh, cool. well, take some um, doing. See you before it's I'll nice see you in to January. See people um, a little plug for Blockchain Gamer Connects uh, in London. I think it's the twenty first, twenty second of January. I think running alongside the uh, Pocket Gamer Connects uh, conference. So I know them, some of the first right. speakers yeah. being announced, and um, looking forward to uh, to that. Good a good group of people already, and um, going to be. Uh, giving us uh, the benefit of their wisdom. But uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe uh, on your favorite podcast provider. We, uh, every week, uh, talk about what's going on in the world of blockchain games, which is generally uh, quite a lot. And I think we'll continue to be so for the next uh, next coming months. So plenty to talk about. Uh, uh, but thanks to uh, Gareth, and thanks for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>